Hey everyone, welcome back to In Progress Season 2. I'm your host, Aurora James, founder of Brother Bellies. If you're tuning in for the first time, In Progress, which is made possible by our luggage genius friends at Toomey, brings together some of the brightest and most inspiring entrepreneurs and thought leaders as we discuss all of the twists and turns we encounter in life. We talk about how we can navigate our way forward while honoring our ambitions, our relationships, and our well-being. Because here's the thing, no matter where we are in our personal journeys, we are never not a work in progress. And that means there's always more to learn. This season, we've been honing in on this idea of origin stories, how the places we come from and the people and experiences that shape us help us write the roadmap to where we're headed. I could not be more excited about this next conversation with Tiffany Aliche. Not only is her story incredibly inspiring, but her approach to teaching people how to manage their money, no matter how much they're making, is absolutely game-changing. From an early age, Tiffany Aliche, aka the Budget Nista, was immersed in personal finance lessons by her Nigerian father, who is a financial advisor. As she grew up, she made all the right moves that enabled her to pursue her passion of teaching while still getting herself set up for the future. But then the economic recession hit and everything changed. On this episode, Tiffany gets candid about how returning to the lessons her parents taught her was essential to getting back on her feet and how continuing to share this knowledge and build a community is the best investment she's ever made. Stay tuned. Um, hi, Tiffany. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today on the In Progress podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I'm horrible with all things financial, so I kind of want to know what the difference was and how you grew up versus how mm-hmm. I grew up that made you an expert at it and mm-hmm. made me horribly miserable at oh. it. <laughs> so let's start off. Tell me, where where are you from? Where were you born? So I was born in Newark, New Jersey. Shout out to Brick City. <laughs> um, but I was raised all over Jersey. Um, okay. I, I now live back in Newark, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and so, but my parents were both born in Nigeria, Africa. Oh, so wow. I'm first generation. Oh, wow. And um, they thought they were actually going to raise my, I'm one one of five girls, and oh. they thought they were going to raise my sisters and I in Nigeria, uh-huh. um, but it took a turn, and they were like, yeah, I was going to stay in America. Okay. And so, it's funny, because I have I have an African name that was actually my my birth name on my birth certificate, uh-huh. and then when the decision was made that we're going to stay here, they were like, pick yourself an English name. So, I picked Tiffany. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. At nine. Can you imagine? That's a lot of pressure for a nine-year-old. Well, I wanted to change my name to Crystal. I wanted Jenny. Thank God they said no. No offense to Jenny's out there, but... Oh, wait. So so Tiffany was your second choice. Well, my third. I wanted Jenny, then I wanted Renee. and But I was te- te- I used to literally have my sisters call me a name for a day just so I could wear it for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I was yeah. like, you know, I think I like Tiffany. And my dad's like, okay. So, huh. Tiffany. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. <laughs> like, what happens when a child has the autonomy to pick their own I name? I know. It took me years to even answer to it because I didn't, you know, I'm like, who's that? Oh, me. So what's your birth name? It's Adochi. Ah. It means God's blessing. Oh, I mm-hmm. love that too. But people were not getting it right in school. So my dad was like, we're going to, you still keep that as your middle name, but you have this English name. But that's not the only thing he taught me. So my father is an accountant. Okay. And well, he's retired now. Uh-huh. But he was also a CFO. <clears throat> oh, wow. And so we grew up in a household where money was like the second language. Really? Mm hmm. So starting when? Do, what was the first conversation you remember having about money? Um, I vaguely remember. But I feel like maybe I remember because people tell me about it, I had to have been like four years old. Mm-hmm. And apparently I was feng shui before it was like a thing. <laughs> and I love the sound of running water. Okay. And so I would go into the bathroom and turn on the water and then walk away and then have a heart attack if you turned it off. Like, no, I, really? need, I need the water to run. Uh-huh. And so they were like, okay, what do we do? Because Tiffany is wasting water. And yeah. so my dad figured it out. He realized that because we didn't have much money, mm-hmm. during the summer when the ice cream man came around, you, we would rotate days of when you would get your dollar to get ice cream. Mm-hmm. And since I'm the second born, my day was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so I came in. It was a Tuesday. Daddy, ice cream man, it's my day. Not that the rest of my sisters didn't get ice cream, but you would just get ice cream from, like, the freezer. Right. Like, you know. But it was, like, special to go, like, give you a dollar. And he was like, oh, you just missed the water man. And meanwhile, at four, I'm like, nobody cares. Yeah. Uh-huh. Give me my dollar. And he was like, no, no. 
the water man comes every time you run water I have to pay him for that water and I had to give him your dollar apparently I had like a mini heart attack wow you know but I never ran that water again because he learned how to tie yeah. what was important to him the bill to what was important to me ice cream, ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> so that was your like first lesson on budgeting yeah, the, yeah. So, well really yeah the first one that I can remember that right. it was like oh that there are there's a financial reaction to like a real world choice right and so and so I wasn't necessarily choosing money I was choosing ice cream got it you know so yeah. that it kind of really kind of just started this thinking and conversation around hmm you know if I want this then That's I can use money here. yes as yeah. a tool to get to this that for us what I loved is my dad taught us that money was never really the goal mm-hmm. it was really just a tool that you can use to reach the goal did you get an allowance growing up we did. I think not until I would say late middle school. I think I was getting like twenty bucks a week or whatever. Okay. And did you like immediately buy like twenty ice cream cones? Or did you save it? What did you do? With I actually wasn't that good with my money as a kid. Okay. <laughs> I definitely was the. They knew me at the corner store. Let's just say that they're like, we've got some new Snickers bars in for your for your taste testing, if you'd like. So. It wasn't until I was 14 and I got my first job. 14 still really young. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. Well, because you got working papers and you worked during the summer, so not during the school year. Okay. So that was like a thing. Like you would go to the high school, get your working papers, which just basically means that like you are allowed to work um, not a, a, under a certain amount of um, hours. Okay. And so I would do, I don't know, I, I worked at like the library or something like that uh-huh. for like five hours a week. But I would get a check. And I remember for um, we, my dad would walk with us to the bank, and when you've got your first job, you would open up a bank account with him, yes. a joint bank account. And that was the first time that I really, because before, whatever I did with my allowance, he didn't really press us on it. Right. But when it came to the check, I had to sit with him every pay period and explain where my money went. Wow. And so then there was this like accountability of like, okay, Tiffany, you know, you got paid. Let me see. Back then they had a passbook. It looked like a... Um, a passport, uh-huh. and every time you took money out of the bank, they would like stamp it, and every time you put money in, they would stamp it. So I would have to tell him every every stamped withdrawal, where did it go? What'd you use it for? Hmm. So I remember like literally bribing my sisters to like buy their receipts from them because you had to prove. Wow! Like, mm-hmm. So you were trying to do like an early weird fraud thing. <laughs> yes. You're like, I'm just, I need to cover this. But what it did was it it taught me that like okay, you have to answer for your financial choices. Right. So he wouldn't really judge them unless it was like too much candy. Yeah. But he was definitely like, you have to answer for your financial choices. So. It set the tone that I can't just make choices willy-nilly because I have to answer for them. Right. And so that was great because he gave me that gift of mindfulness when it came to your money. Wow. You know? And so, but without this added pressure, there wasn't judgment about it. I didn't, honestly, I didn't grow up with the normal money stresses people grew up with. It was just more of a, of a... Like I said, an awareness and a yeah. mindfulness about money. So when your friends were like, can I borrow $5 today? Were you like, yes, let's also get this down in writing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wasn't. I honestly was not a lender. I'm like, mm, no. Oh, but wow. my sister was. And she would make you write it down and then pay interest. Loan shark. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm like, five cents, you know? <laughs> but but these are the lessons. Like, that's what the – even now, my dad is in his 70s. Uh-huh. And without fail, when I come, he's asking me financial questions still. So when you were headed off to, did you go to college? Mm -hmm, I did. Did you save in advance for that? Did you do student loans? Did you have anxiety about that? So a mix. So my my parents said, you know, the first couple of years are on us. Okay. So they'd saved for that. I was mindful that like I knew college costed money, but I wasn't paying for out of pocket. Right. But I remember the biggest kind of financial wake up that I got in college was my college roommate. I remember she had debt collectors calling the room. Ooh. And we thought it was funny because, you know, you're like 17. And so we're like, ooh, put on, put on the voice. Hello. Who's this? <laughs> Hi, this is John. Can I please please speak to roommate's name? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, she doesn't live here anymore. So we thought it was like, this is so hilarious. And so right. I'm going home and telling my dad, like, oh, my God, daddy, like, ha, <laughs> ha. I know. She's probably having major anxiety. Right? No. Well, I don't think she fully understood because it wasn't her. Her parents had used her credit unwisely. Because they were struggling financially, so they Uh, opened up cards in her name. Which is a very common thing. It is. And so she, I don't think, even fully understood, because we didn't know. Right. You know, we thought it was like, oh, like, we don't have to pay this, so we can have fun with the debt collectors on the phone. But it wasn't until I went home to have the key key, like, daddy, let me tell you what happened this week. Yeah. He was like, wait, what? Yeah. So then he was basically giving me advice to bring back to her. 
and then to her parents. And so that really started the educational component of what I do as far as teaching financial education. It was like, oh, I learned something, I share it. That was kind of the first time that I realized, wait, everyone didn't grow up the way I did with, with finances and, and, and having these like weekly money meetings with your family. Right. Some people are really struggling. Not that we, we didn't have a ton of money, but we had a ton of knowledge. Well, I think the other important thing is with that analogy too is it's like realizing that not everyone is starting off at a clean slate. Yes. Not everyone is starting off at an, at an even place. Mm-hmm. And it's like with some people, I remember the first time I ever heard that that was a thing, that parents like took out credit cards in their kid's yes. name and like had to max them out. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy and selfish. But it's not always the case. Sometimes it's, not, it's literally just survival. Yes. And that's what it was. It wasn't that her parents were like out here buying like, you know, right. luxury items. Right. They were struggling. Right. And they had tapped out their credit and they were like, in order for us to maintain this household, we need access to more money. Right. And so that's really what it was. And I thought, wow. But but, but meanwhile, my dad was telling me, you're allowed to get a credit card that I'll pay off every month in full because I want you to build your credit now. I didn't understand why. Right. So I did. I still have that credit card to this day. 23 years later, they oh, actually wow. just called me to say thank you. I'm like, whatever, lower my rate. That's how you can thank <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, so, so I remember him telling me, one, no annual fee. Like, like he gave me like a list of, because back then they don't allow this anymore, but credit card companies literally used to set up camp on college campuses, right? Wow. They would have tables. They would give you like candy bars and Frisbees and t-shirts to sign up. Isn't that so, so terrible? creepy. I signed up for so many credit cards and I thought I was using fake names because I wonder who doesn't want a, a giant candy bar? Oh I, I know gosh. I do. Right? And so- <laughs> And it, for free. What? And so I signed up for credit cards that I didn't get. They would go to my, my parents' oh, address. So no. my, they would come, my dad would cut them up. He wouldn't even say anything. It wasn't until I was 24 and I was like, I think I want to buy a house. Let me start the process. I had 23 credit cards. That I didn't even know from college wow. that I had just never used because I never received them. Wow. And I thought, wow. Can you imagine that many credit cards open? I had to go through the process of closing every single one of them except for the very one that I was using, the one that my dad had coached me to, to get for myself. Yeah. Um, and he was paying off. He said, I'll pay it off every month in full as long as you use it for books and school stuff. Okay. And so if I used it, which I did sometimes, like for like fast food, uh-huh. I would come home to a highlighted bill. Of like, this is what you owe me, $20.33. Because I said school stuff. McDonald's is not school stuff. Wow. Yes. So accountability when it comes to your spending. See, that's really what I grew up with. So there was never a moment where it was like, you know, I'm able to just make these choices and then I'm not confronted with the... The reality of the choice that you made. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're 24. You want to buy your first house. You had savings at 24. So yeah, so I graduated college 2021. Um, I had... I had all these internships in business, was like, uh, I'm too fun for this dry um, um, corporate America life. Yeah. Yeah, because I just was dying there. And I thought, what am I going to do with my life now? Um, I decided instead that I was going to teach, mm-hmm. much to my parents' dismay, because I'm Nigerian. And so the only acceptable um, professions are being a lawyer, being a doctor, an engineer, or a pharmacist. Those are like... That's it. And everything else is a drug dealer. That seems to be <laughs> for real. Yeah. That <laughs> that's seems like, to be like a really common narrative yeah. for people, especially when their parents are immigrants. It's yes. like there's this pressure to be like one of these four things. Yep. And, and if you're it. not that, you're like you're like you're, you're like, a failure. Yeah, like I said, a drug dealer. I'm like, yeah. oh, so you want to do drugs? I'm yeah. like, no, daddy, I, I want to be a teacher. Drugs. I'm like, a teacher. That's a good profession. Right. But I get it. They work really hard. They're afraid you're not going to be able to support yourself. That's why they choose those four. But I just was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking this corporate job. It sucks here. Uh And so I said, you know, I always loved kids. When I was in college, I I was... um, I taught on campus, like at the little daycare center. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have my teaching degree yet. I will teach at this childcare center, and then I'll go back for my teaching degree, which I did. But I ended up falling in love with teaching preschool and stayed there for 10 years. Wow. So I saved $40,000 my first two, two and a half years of teaching, making. Wait, is yes. It, yes, I feel like teachers make $40,000. Yeah, I was. I was making $39,000 a year, and I saved $40,000 in two, 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 two and a half years. How? Well, one... Did you have student loan debt? I did. So you were paying that? Yeah, but it wasn't a tremendous amount because, one, I went to Rutgers my first year, then transferred to Montclair State where I commuted because I didn't get the greatest grades at Rutgers. Well, tremendous is like a relative term. So how much debt did you have? So student loan debt, I would say, from what I remember, it probably was under, left left, like under $5,000 I probably owed. So not, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went on to get my master's, which was $52,000. But (laughs) at that time, it wasn't, it was manageable. And 
interest rates for student loan debt were not like they are now. I mean, interest rates are crazy for student loan debt yeah. now. Back then, it was like 3%, you know? So it was manageable. So I was paying that off. But what I did was I stayed home a year. I left on a strong foundation. So many young people, they leave on shaky ground like when you don't have to, you know, you're not 40 or 50, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I stayed home for a year, even though it wasn't the funnest living with Nigerian parents who still treat you like you're five, but mm -hmm. I stayed home for a year. I worked, I saved most of my money. Mm -hmm. I was saving 900 bucks a month. I think I was making, I want to say 12 to 13 or 1400 bucks a month mm -hmm. teaching at this local childcare center, mm -hmm. saved most of it since I didn't have to pay rent, bought a car cash my dad was like, do not get a brand new car. Mm -hmm. Save like $5,000. I'll take you to the, the car um, auction. Mm -hmm. And I bought a car. It was just a few years old. I bought it for $5,500. Wow. And my sister, who was two years older than me and had just graduated not too long after me or before me, was like, well, if you move out, I'll, I'll move out with you. I was like, perfect, roommate. So it took yeah. about six months to find the right apartment. We found one. It was $1,100, two-bedroom. And what I loved about it is it the it was everything was fixed, so you didn't I didn't we didn't have to pay additional utilities because the woman who owned it also owned like she actually owned a child care center next door to it, and mm -hmm. so the child care center was also paying right. it, they so were on the same grid. See, you were like thinking about all of these yes, things. Yes, I was. I was reading. I was such a financial nerd. I was oh like 19 gosh. reading like The Richest Man in, um, in Babylon, which is a great financial book. I was literally at the library reading all of these financial books because I knew I did not want to struggle financially, but I knew that I wanted to enjoy life. Uh -huh. And so I was reading all these financial books, going to classes, asking oh my, my gosh. When I was that age, I was, like, literally, like, in L.A. wearing, like, Christian Dior moon boots, like, eating a cup of noodles, like, getting Yo, ready to I go to the so club. I was so bad. Like, even my parents were, like, my dad was, like, they thought, like, I, I remember when they didn't know how much money I had saved. My dad was, like, you look like hell. Honestly, Tiffany, like what? Because I was mean? like, I was saving so much. I was not take. I was like, like not getting my my hair done. I was not like I was. I was an extreme. You were neurotic. That sounds yeah. Really I was. Crazy. So you had a completely different. Because I think that's what. And when it comes to financial literacy, I think a lot of it comes down to what we value. Yes, and I value for some reason. I really value, and even now, I I really valued stability overall. Do you feel like that? was something that was taught to you? Or do you feel like that was because you, at certain points when you were younger, felt a lack of stability? I don't know, honestly, because not I, I feel like not until the recession that I felt like unstable because we we never lacked, even though we didn't have a ton. Mm -hmm. I think that like my parents were really pragmatic. like They weren't flashy. Like I remember asking my dad for Jordans. He's like, who, who is Jordan? I'm like, like Michael Jordan? Is that, is that your father? I'm like... No. He's like, well, then you're not getting Jordans. Yeah. So we just, I just always grew up like, you're not getting it. Like, you know, you're going to have sneakers and you're going to have clothes. But so I learned to disassociate my sense of self-worth with like what I was able to acquire because I'm not getting it. Yeah. So you have to, you know, and it's like I have to come to peace with it. Like, well, Tiffany, because if you attach having Jordans and the North Face code and a Jansport big book bag with your self-worth, you are always going to feel less than. So you have to fix that in your mind that those things don't equal Tiffany. So then instead I like developed my personality. I was like really the fun, silly, crazy friend, you know? So, yeah. and so because of that, I don't know. I just became like a hoarder. I just not big on spending for the most part. Right. I just became, so I'm just hoarding cash. And I didn't really, I was such a tomboy. I wasn't really one. I didn't care about getting my hair done. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize I looked crazy until my, my, my dad said so. And so bad. So he, my dad is not one for, here's my credit card. Right. And he was like, Here's my credit card. Use $500 of it. Get yourself some clothes. Meanwhile, I had $40,000 saved. I didn't tell him. I was like, okay. Because I thought oh gosh, petty. You didn't tell him that you had $40,000 No. I was like, because I was mad. I'm like, how dare you say I look a mess? I did look a mess. But I didn't realize at the time. So I took the $500, bought some new clothes, and then bought a condo six months later. Wow. Mm -hmm. I got my condo when I was 25. It was two bedroom because I was able because I my my bills were low. One, I didn't have a car note because I bought that yeah in cash. gently used car. You know, my my insurance, my car insurance was really low because my when you own a car in full, you can get just liability. Right. And so I think my car insurance was like 62 bucks a month. Wow. I was sharing a, an apartment with my sister, two bedroom. It was 1100 and divided by two, so 550 each. So, like, my life was costing me, like, what, six, seven hundred bucks a month? So, even though I wasn't making a ton as a teacher, right. I think I was maybe, maybe every paycheck was about $1,200. I was, 
I was saving it because I didn't need it. So were you like packing a lunch and stuff? Are you one of those people that's like, I'm definitely buying a coffee maker. I am not going out in the morning and spending $5 every day on coffee. I was. And, and not so much now. But back then, I, I was. I was an extremist because I thought that's what you were supposed to be. But I was not traveling. I was not enjoying life. It wasn't until the recession hit and made me realize, Tiffany, you have checked up all the boxes and you lost everything. So, yeah, what happened in the recession? So I was a teacher and thinking like, ooh, seeing my friends lose their job. I'm like, ooh, sucks to be you, girl. Not me. I'm a teacher. Teachers don't lose their job. Right. My school was a nonprofit-based school. Uh They lost their funding. I lost my job three days before the new school year. Wow. And right before I'd lost my job, I had been a victim of credit card scam. A friend of mine, quote, unquote, air quotes. And so it left me $35,000. A friend of yours? Mm-hmm. He he was what I thought was independently wealthy. I oh asked. Oh my gosh, him, is it a boyfriend? No, I, like I yes, I know, right? <laughs> Did you meet him on Tinder? Or <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I forget. Like I was like, because he was. I, I'd been friends with him for years. I'm like, oh, he's independently wealthy, not knowing he was a scammer. Wow, like, yeah. this sounds like a Netflix documentary. I know. I recently googled him. I'm like, oh, you're wanted by the federal government. That sounds about right. Yes. He was like a huge scam, but I didn't know he was a scammer because he had like a Lamborghini and lived in the city. And I was like, oh, said friend has money. And I'm like, oh, I want to learn how to invest. Instead of asking my father, yes. Instead of asking my father, I'm going to surprise them with my newfound wealth. Hey, friend, can you teach me to invest? Sure can. Give me your credit cards. What does that have to do with investing? Yes. Left me $35,000 in debt. And then, so imagine, $35,000 in debt. I had just graduated with my master's, so now $50,000 with my master's. And I'm like, that's okay, because I have got my job. I'll pay it off. Then I lose my job. I was like, wow. Wait, did you press charges on Scammer McScammy? Well, he was from, he was, uh, he was from France. So like, he was here for, like, he owned, yeah, so I know. It was, so he lived in New York, but he was a, a French, um, so he left, basically. He was a French citizen. So is I, that even true? I think so. I don't know. I, I honestly, it was like it took me two years to be like, "You're not getting your money. You're not getting your money." So it's, it's just unresolved. He's just like out there in the world. Well, hopefully still locked scamming. up. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I googled him recently. I was like, "Oh, there's like the federal government has a case against him for some sort of scam that he did with passports." So I'm pretty sure he's going to be locked up. Soon. It's so fascinating. There's someone named the Montauk Grifter that used to live upstairs from me, and like, it's just hard to catch people with financial crimes. Mm-hmm. They basically were like, you made the mistake. So there was no recourse other than to try to get him to pay, which how? I could not find him. But it was a good thing. Now I look how? back on it. Because up until then, I had been, quote unquote, financially perfect. You know, I don't spend money. I don't do this. I don't do that. I had not made any mistakes. So there was no, I wasn't really learning. I was just doing what I was told. And so now that I went from, you know, $40,000 buying a condo, now I'm negative I'm $300,000 in debt. The condo, student loans, credit card debt, no job. Wait, did you tell your dad about the scammer? No. I didn't tell him two years later where I wrote it in a book, and I was like, I need you to read Chapter 5. Bye. <laughs> did he call you? <laughs> he was like, what? Tiffany, you didn't tell me. Is that why you moved home? Because I, I moved home when I was 30 because as a result. Yeah. And I told him, like, it's just a recession. I need a, a reset. Yeah, I was because I was embarrassed and ashamed because I had an expert in my life, and I didn't lean into him. You know, because I just thought, like, I'm going to invest, and then I'm going to show my dad, like, look. Look what I did. Yeah, woohoo! you know. Yeah. So, but it was good that that happened because it, it did put me in, like, a, a financial and an emotional funk for, like, a year where I was like, what am I going to do? I don't have a job. I can't find another one. Like, schools were not hiring because they were like, we can barely keep our head above water. So I couldn't find a job. I was, like, babysitting and stuff on the side, living off unemployment. I have a condo now. I've got student loan debt, and now I've got this $35,000 worth of credit card debt. What do I do? Yeah. And so first thing I did was I moved home. I didn't even, like, tell my parents. I literally just started bringing things home. They were like, what are you doing? Casual, I'm like, casual, Yeah, literally, casual. like, oh. But you I, start painting yeah. one room. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just going to leave my blanket here and my pillow and my bed and my dresser. And they're like, are you home? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, because they knew I'd lost my job. So they were kind of like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> they didn't realize all that I was in. And um, so, yeah, for, for, for the first few years, I, I'm like, what do I, what do, I do with myself? And um, then I got, like, angry. I'm like, I don't want to go back to a daggone job. 
You know, because like it can be taken. I did everything right. I got my degrees. I have my bachelor's. I have my master's. I saved. Yeah. I did everything right you're supposed to do. And because of one little mistake, That's everything is gone. Well, did you fall into a depression? I did. It, right. Because I feel like when you base so much of your life mm-hmm. around being good at a certain yep. thing, and then that falls apart, I it was like, like erodes your whole sense of self. Yeah, because I was like, who am I? Like, I'm not Tiffany, the person who's so good with her money anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm Tiffany the loser. I'm home. I'm 29. I remember my 30th birthday. I moved home literally like a week before my 30th birthday. And 30 is like when you officially feel like I am an adult adult. Right. And here I am in my middle school schmedium bed and extra small Yeah, medium. and you like did all the things. Yes. And I was like, so what is all this for? Yeah, because I, even with my like Dior and cup of noodles, like never really had debt because mm-hmm. I was too afraid of credit cards. Mm. I just knew. I was like, I have an addictive personality. If I do this, it's all downhill. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really just like, like this sucks. I remember thinking to myself, like, yo, like, what does it all matter? I'm not going to get a regular job. I refuse. I remember it was like, well, because when the recession started to, like, ease up a little, people would be like, oh, I've heard of it. I'm not getting a job. I'm like, I'm not getting one because jobs can be taken. You could put your whole work. I mean, I was a really good teacher. I put time and effort and love and care into being a teacher, and it was taken, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I refuse to participate in a system where it can be snatched from me. So I became like slightly like bitter, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I was like, okay, Tiffany. (laughs) Slightly. That was was actually pretty dark. You were like, I'm not doing any of this anymore. Literally, I just lay in the bed and was like, I don't care. I'm just going to collect unemployment and cry every day. You're crying and you're crying in your parents' house. Okay, wow. Yeah, so it really sucked. So my dad was like, how long are you going to be here? (laughs) Yeah, because he was like, I just want to let you know your share of the water bill is your showers are a little long and you're back to your old ways. I cried the show. Like, <laughs> so then I moved in with my sister. She was like, yeah, this can't last long. And then finally I realized like, okay, when it's all said and done, it was actually my friend Linda who like woke me up out of my phone because I was not hanging out. I was not seeing my friends. Yeah. I wasn't picking up the phone. So finally Linda called me and she was like, girl, what the hell is wrong with you? And I was like, then I told, cause I didn't tell anyone, you know, I told her, I was like, oh my God, I have all this debt. And, and then I owe $35,000 in credit card debt and my student loans and this and that. She was like, is that it? We all thought you killed somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's a lot. She's like, girl, we've been broke. Yeah. Welcome to everyone else. You're the this only you're the only twenty something year old who had forty thousand dollars saved in a condo and a right. She was like, literally, you are now living the life that everyone else is living. Right. And she she her saying that gave me the permission that I needed to release the angst and then the anxiety yeah. that I was feeling. And I realized, you know what, Tiffany, you know how to fix this. Get to fixing it. So right. I started with the budget, then a savings plan, then a credit plan, then a debt pay down plan. And as I was working the plan and it was working, friends started asking, could I help them? And I was like, sure. Then their friends and their friends. And before I knew it, every single weekend, my house was full of people that I was just helping. Okay. I'd say this is a pretty good spot to take a breather from the conversation and let you know about our friends at Toomey. You've heard me talk about them before on the show because, well, duh, they helped us make this new season of the podcast possible. And if you haven't taken the time to check them out online, I really hope you do. Toomey has always been known as a timeless and elegant luggage brand, but they also make handbags that are just as sophisticated. They have plenty of luxurious leather or nylon designs that make it so easy for you to go about your day or travel without any of the fuss. Put simply, Toomey helps you get where you're going so you can live your life in an uncomplicated way. And that means you have more time to do the things you want to do. If you haven't checked out their stuff yet, I assure you there's something for everyone. So shop the Toomey collection online and see wherever your journey takes you. Just go to Toomey.com. That's T-U-M-I.com. Okay, back to the show. It's so interesting what happens when we actually tap into our own power to forgive yep. ourselves. Yes. I had to let go of the shame. Linda, I always tell people, get you a Linda. I want a Linda. <laughs> because she allowed me to say, it doesn't make you a bad person. Making mistakes does not make you a bad person. Absolutely you not. Know? Making mistakes is what makes us stronger, smarter. Exactly. All of that. And so I was like, okay. And then plus two, shame hides the solutions that are already in front of you. I couldn't see how to fix, even though I knew, I couldn't see it because the shame was like, was like blinding me from like, okay, Tiffany, you, I mean, this is what you've been doing your whole life. You, yeah. You know how to budget and save and pay off debt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So once I did that, I was like, okay. So like, I never thought about it as a business until 
my other best friend Drina was like, you should um you should start charging people because now you're getting like friends of friends of friends, people right. you don't even know. Yeah. And I was like, Can you do that? She was like, Do you have money? And I was like, True. Yeah. So I think it was like fifty bucks to sit down with me. And as I was um helping mostly women, I would be like, you know, they'd have their kids over sometimes I would go to their house and I would see their kids and I'm you know, going to charge them 50 and the budget says that they're negative $300. And I look at them, I look at the kids, and I'm like, oh, keep your 50, girl. Yeah. I do not want to go to hell taking money away from them, <laughs> you know? So I thought that business model is not going to work. Right. Very quickly, I realized that one-on-one business model wasn't going to work, especially since I wanted to serve this particular portion of the population. Right. You know, women, but especially women that have been left out of most financial conversations and solutions. Yeah. And so I said, okay, so that's not going to work. And um, I, I remember I was doing a lot of volunteer work because you had to do something when you're on unemployment. Yeah. And so I remember I said, I'm not getting a job. So I was like, well, I'm going to do a lot of volunteer work. And as I was volunteering, I met one of my early mentors. And her name was Christine Carter. And I remember calling her and saying, okay, like the one-on-ones are not really paying any money. And my unemployment's going to run out. And by then, my condo was like, they, they stopped taking my mortgage payments because I didn't have enough. Like, I had drained my bank account to pay the mortgage. Oh, wow. I even gotten a, a tenant to, to, to move into my condo. Yeah. But my mortgage payment was sixteen sixty, and the tenant was only able to pay me 1200 because that's what right. – it was a good lesson in, like, next time get a mortgage that's rentable. Right. You know, that I should have gotten my mortgage down to 1200 so I could have been net-net even. Yeah. So there was a gap of $400 a month. Oh, my God, I, I never have. would have even thought about Nobody that. Nobody thinks about that until you're laying on the floor crying. You're like, I can't afford my mortgage. The recession was – it was really terrible. So yeah. I, I couldn't afford my mortgage. So eventually they took the house, just took the condo in foreclosure. It was just really great times. Great times. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's a lot. It is. Honestly, I look back at it and I'm like, how did I survive that? Um, right. But really it was, so as I was fixing myself, helping others, Christine said, you need to get contracts. Because she had just gotten this million dollar contract and to like build housing for like homeless people or something like that. And I okay. was like, oh, okay, well. Let me, girl, hook me up. And she was like, oh, I got to go to a meeting. I'm like, no, no, I need more than just you need to get contracts. Right. And she was like, that's all I've got. And I'm like, wait, that's literally the one line she gave me. But I took that and I built a business with it because I said, hmm, what? I I remember thinking and I was like raging like, oh, my God, like, I just feel like nothing is working. Like, I don't have anything. And I, I always try to practice gratefulness. And, like, so this inner voice was like, Tiffany, you do have things. You're alive. Yeah, you yeah, can move your fingers and toe. You're like, yeah. whatever. You know, yeah. I don't care about those things, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so then I started to really think, well, what do you actually have? Let's list outside of that, like, my fingers and toes and I can see and I can drink water. You know, like, what, what do you really have? You're and, like, what are my assets? Yes, basically. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, you know how to budget. You know how to save. You know, you've got great relationships. You've done a lot of volunteer work. You've got, like, maybe, like, 60 emails of people that you've met in your the last two years of volunteering. Yeah. And so I said, you know, emails. Hmm. So I emailed my whole list and said, um... You know, hey, it's Tiffany, me. Remember I volunteered for you. <laughs> um, did you know I teach financial education? Yeah. You know, like I would love to do this for your organization. So some of them were churches, nonprofits, whatever. Oh. No one emailed me back except for this one woman. Her name was Catherine from the United Way. I believe this was like, I want to say 2011. Okay. She emailed me back. It was like, oh, Amy doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, well, who are you? Can yeah. I meet you? And yeah. she was like. Sure. I didn't know it was her first week on the job, but like how perfect, right? So I meet with her, we get to talking, and she says, hey, we do have this financial program that we're looking for someone to kind of teach. But then we just connect because that's what happens. I am a teacher. Like I get stopped in Whole Foods almost every time I go, and I end up doing like a credit lesson by the mangoes. Wow. Yeah, because that teaching like that, that, nothing is wasted in your life. Teaching preschool for 10 years taught me how to teach. Because there's mm-hmm. nothing harder to teach than a three- and four-year-old. Yeah. They have no point of reference. Right. So you're like, Jeremiah, this is red like an apple. What's an apple? You're like, oh, we got to start from the beginning. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. I did that for 10 years, and I mastered teaching. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking, and she's like, this is going to be so great for the, you know, for the United Way because you know, like, even I'm struggling with I'm like, well, what are you struggling with? And before you know it, I'm doing a one-on-one with her just because right. that's what I do. And she was like, wait, that was awesome. Could you do this for the staff here? I'm like, could you prepay? Yeah. <laughs> Kidding, kind of, but not really. Yeah. Right? So yeah. she cut me a $300 check, which I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, you know, come next week. Wow. I went to the dollar store, got folders, asked my friend who worked for a company to print out, like, all my, my handouts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, Tiffany, if there's one thing you know, 
know how to teach. Right. Like, blow it out of the park. Right. And I did. It went so well that the people who missed it, who weren't at work that day, heard about it. And then she called me was like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's like, back. yes, because they love you so much. And I was like, ha, 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 you prepay again? Yeah. <laughs> Got another $300 check. Yeah. Did the same thing, killed it. Wow. And she was like, so between me helping her and then the, doing those two staff trainings, she was like, hmm, you know what? Could you do this for the community? Because the United Way, one of their jobs is they get funding from big organizations and banks and stuff. Yeah. And their job is to then go into the community to serve. Right. And so she's like, well, can you teach financial education to the community? It would be free for the community, but then we would pay you. And I was like, yeah, which is ideal. Yeah, that was the goal. Yeah, so like how do I help people who can't afford it, but right. I still need to be paid? Yeah. Contract. Uh, right? I was like, ah, Christine. Way. Yes, I was like, Christine, with your one line, almost useless <laughs> piece of advice. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. here now. And yeah. so I got my first contract with the United Way. And Amazing. I wrote I wrote this um, proposal. I remember I tweeted, help, somebody help me write a proposal. This, <laughs> literally, is that crazy? <laughs> this woman wrote me back. Michelle Thomas, I'll never forget. She said, because I, I was doing so much volunteer work, she'd been watching yeah. via Twitter. Because I would, like, when I was volunteering, I would tweet in Facebook and just say, hey, I'm feeding the homeless today if anybody wants to come. This is when social media was very localized, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she'd seen that. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know she was the communica- communications director for the city of Newark. I didn't know. Oh, wow. And so, but she's like, hey, I see you're doing great things in my city. Um you know, give me what you have and I'll put it in proposal form. I still use that proposal to this day. It's made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. I gave it to Catherine and, and I wrote a curriculum, a six week curriculum, and I started teaching it. I did that for about three years. Wow. And yeah, and it made me like enough money to keep my head above water. So my business started growing from there. It was the business of Tiffany. I speak, I teach, I have books. And I thought that was going to be forever, but then I started to get tired. Because I was like, okay, I I can't be the sun, moon, and stars. You know, right. it was just me and like a random uh, admin. This all like started with one large BCC email. Yes, can you imagine? Which literally, I can. Yeah, we're just fifty people, and everyone yeah. ignoring except for Catherine to tell me I'm not Amy. Amy's gone I know I'm the captain now okay so what does it look like now what is your thing now walk me through it so I I still do the budgetista not as much so Mm -hmm. speaking teaching I write curriculum like I wrote curriculum for NASDAQ Mm -hmm. Um, I have books um, and I also do some brand ambassador spokesperson work Mm -hmm. so that's the budgetista it's about a million dollar business maybe like 800,000 to a million dollar year business Mm -hmm. Then I opened up an online school called the Live Richer Academy, where what I did was I was like, okay, how do I personally go for, like, my net worth now is seven figures. How did I go from being broke to seven figures? I I leaned into experts around me who then became my friends. So I asked them if they would come to this online platform and teach. Uh And the Academy grosses about three, four million dollars a year right now. We're in our third year. Amazing. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What do you think is the biggest problem right now that you feel like young women are facing when it comes to money? The biggest problem young women think they probably have is I'm not making enough. Uh Um, But the biggest problem to me is they're not investing enough. Okay. You know, so because here's the thing. We're making more than we've ever made before. And people are struggling more than we ever had before. Right. Like back in the day, your grandparents probably could have, you know, granddad just worked. Grandma stayed home, raised the kids. They still went on vacation once or twice a year, had a car in the house. That's literally impossible now. Unless unless grandpa is making like multiple six figures. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's just like people are working really hard, making decent money and still not able to survive. Still not able to survive. Still not able to save for retirement and save and go on vacation. Like so what's the solve? Yeah, honestly, we're working. I have something called financial wholeness that I think is the solve. It's like 10 components. It's budgeting, it's credit, it's debt. You have you don't have to be debt free, but you have to have a debt pay down plan. Right. It's estate planning. It is actively growing your money through investments. One of the reasons I started the Live Richer Academy is that you cannot budget your way to wealth. I didn't even get to a seven-figure income. Well, not income, but almost so. But I didn't get to a seven-figure net worth because I just budgeted and saved. That was just a great foundation. The, the key really is you have to learn to earn and to grow your money. Yeah. So I, if I'm... Like I'll give you an example. I so I just paid off my student loan debt. It, the the fifty two thousand, the fifty thousand, it was mm-hmm. fifty two. Mm-hmm. By the time I paid off my my um, masters, right? So I paid it well, off last year. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> I probably could have paid it off two or three years ago, 
But I remember finally I learned the lesson that my dad was teaching me when he gave me the five hundred dollars for clothes. That that I was I'm so used to over sacrificing, you know. And I'm like that doesn't benefit. So I could have taken that fifty two thousand, paid off the debt because I'm like that's what you do. This is you know like I right. over sacrifice. I I put it toward the debt. But instead I was like Tiffany. Not this time. Let's take that money and invest it into your business. Right. And it took me from six figures a year to seven, multi-seven figures a year. Wow. That 52000 And then I had more than enough to pay off that debt and to continue to earn. Yeah. So it was such a huge lesson that debt-free does not equal wealth. Right. And I feel like that's something that we've been taught that your job is to get debt-free. Your three-year-old cousin is debt-free. Right. And so... That doesn't right. mean anything, you know? Like, if you focus on growing wealth, it doesn't mean that you don't do any, you don't pay off debt at all. No. Not that I'm not paying down debt. I didn't make debt my focus. Right. That yeah, and fo- you weren't, like, weighed down by it. Exactly. And, I mean, your interest rate was reasonable at that point yes. as well. That's so why it was credit, manageable. Exactly. That's why your credit's important. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm paying it down. I have a plan in place. But yeah. really, my focus is earning and, and growing money. Right. So that way I can take care of debt and everything else. Right. Honestly, you have to, you, at some point you have to ask yourself, like, not what do you want? Because mm-hmm. that's so easy, right? Ooh, I want, you know, the house, the car, this. And really, how do you want to live? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I started the Literature Academy was because I'm like, okay, what do I want? I thought like, oh, I want to go with this business, whatever. Okay, I have that. But this is not how I want to live. So at some point you have to evaluate if you're living in a city where, like, New York, L.A., like, is this... Is this how I want to live? Is it possible? Like, I live in Newark, right? And so the cost of living is way cheaper. And if I worked in Manhattan, it's actually quicker for me to come to New- from Newark to Manhattan than Brooklyn. Brooklyn. You see yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a, so many Brooklynites now in Newark. Yeah, I know. You know, I've because... Lost it, some good friends to Newark. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, like, so really, like, readjusting and saying, yeah. how do I want to live? And then how do I organize my life and my finances right. to be in alignment with that? I feel like those are the sorts of choices that you need to start making in your 30s. Not too. necessarily. At, or any, 20s. Hey, yes. Yeah, I mean, but, even, but even later, like, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah, I feel yeah. like you can always, you can always decide today, hmm, I'm going to live differently. Like, my husband and I bought, just bought a house we, we well we bought a house a year ago but we were renovating it for a while and we just moved in we paid for it cash yeah that's very impressive it, it, but it was it, it was a foreclosure but all my friends used to like where we lived before i we lived um i think it was like three or four years i called it the halfway hood right so like this part was downtown like yeah. hey downtown cute yeah. the other half i was like mm, not as cute right it wasn't terrible but they were like couldn't do it but we were saving because our rent was only 900 bucks a month for a two-bedroom. We were saving, saving, saving. Because I knew I wanted to get the house that I really wanted. How do I want to live? So I could have had a more expensive apartment. But then look what happened. This, this foreclosure came up in the neighborhood of my dreams in Newark. It's called the Forest Hill neighborhood. It's beautiful. Wow. Tree-lined. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I know I want to live in this neighborhood. But the houses can go as high as seven, dollars $800,000. I'm mm-hmm. like, yikes. House comes up. On the auction block, the bank is like, we're not taking any financing. We're only taking cash. Mm -hmm. It was Mm $180,000. We were able to buy it. So now we bought a house for $180,000 that was instantly appraised for about $370,000. So we doubled our money right then and there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not living less of a life. You're making these choices so you can get the thing that you really want. It's like, how do I turn down the things that are like, eh, you know, to things so I can get the thing that I really want. People used to always tease me and think that I live less of a life. And I'm like, because I didn't want to go to brunch. Until finally, if I, <laughs> Stop. right? Like, oh, Tiffany, you're so cheap, girl. Brunch is not that expensive. And I'd be like, and then I remember one time my friend, Tawana, she called me. She was like, I know you're not going to go to brunch, but I don't want to be rude and not invite you. And I was like, actually, I'm in a hot air balloon yeah. in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> can I call you back? Oh, I love that. And she was I, like, I love that. Wait, wait, what? Yes, yeah, so beautiful. It was on my, my bucket list. And she was like, um, what? You were just in Newark like yesterday. I said, yeah, this is where my brunch money goes. So are you living your idea of more or mm-hmm. someone else's? Like you think I'm living less of a life, but brunch is not more of a life for me. Travel is. So I take the money that, that I could be using for brunch to, to do something that really means something to me. And that's what I want for people. Right. It's like, I want you to align your money with your values, not someone else's. Right. Yeah. There's one thing that I want to touch on that I think kind of um, – goes back a bit to your origin story and how you ended up mm-hmm. doing what you're doing now. I know that you took a trip to Nigeria. Yeah. So that was when I was 21. I um, I just graduated college, and we were all going for the first time, all together, my yeah. whole family. Uh-huh. It was my, my um, grandparents' like 50th um, 
um, wedding anniversary. So like all the cousins from all over the world, and most of them lived in Nigeria still. We were all meeting up in the village. So it was so transformative because I graduated, I got my business degree, and knew I did not want to. I had not told anyone, but I knew I did not want to enter into corporate America. Yeah. And I, it was like that time I had a month to decide, well, what are you going to do, mm-hmm. Tiffany? And right before I left, I'd watched this documentary about uh, Mr. Rogers. I think mm-hmm. it was on PBS. Yeah. And I remember... Thinking to myself, like, the way people think about Mr. Rogers, that's how I want people to feel about me. Mm-hmm. And he had this plaque on his wall um, in his office, and it said, the purpose of life is to live a life of service. And it resonated with me so much. And I'm like, that's how I want to live, just not broke. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, I just was like, how do you do that? I, so I was struggling with what does that look like? And so that's when I, I, I decided that, like, when I was in Nigeria with my cousins and stuff, I, that's when I decided I'm going to... I am going to pursue this teaching thing and be a teacher. And I'm just going to have to figure out how to manage my money better so I'm not broke. And it was just transformative because it was just like the energy of the village is just such that I didn't know this, but so everybody would meet. I'd be like, oh, my dad would say my my last name is Aliche, my maiden name. Oh, this is, you know, Sylvia Aliche. Oh, my God, I'm an Aliche. This is, you know, Chike Aliche. Oh, I'm an Aliche. He's like, Tiffany. The village is all Alicia. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that literally yeah, yeah, it's yeah. extended family and that's how you don't intermarry. So right. that's how African cultures do it. It's like, okay, everyone here is Alicia. Everyone over there is, you know, Smith. And everyone over here is, you know, whatever, right. Johnson's. And so that's how you kind of know. And so, but it was just this sense of like community and contentment. And they're, they were so much happier than the people that I know that had. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, if you take this job in, in, in corporate America to make more, you're going to be miserable all for what? Like your cousins have way less than you and they're way happier than you. Yeah, no. So, you know, so it was like the light bulb moment of like, hmm. And there's just a sense of like giving and kindness and it just really just, I, I knew that I didn't want to live this kind of like rat race type of life just to have more. Yeah. That there had to be a better way to live that life of service like like Mr. Rogers while also making good money. Like how do you do good work, help good people, make good money? Do you think that you would be here right now if it weren't for your father? Not at all. I mean, he was so hard on me because I was a little bit of a wild child. And um, and I didn't know at the time. It's not now that I have a, a bonus daughter. My, my husband has a 12-year-old. That I'm like, oh, that's what it looked like. Yeah. Right? Because she's so similar to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't know how my dad did it with yeah. five of us. But yeah. not at all because, one... His biggest thing was education, education, education. They could take anything from you, but not your knowledge. Oh, my gosh. That's so interesting because right? I restate that all the time. Right? Yeah. That was just, mm-hmm. like, embedded in me. But not only just that, there was a sense of confidence that he, like, so my dad would never be like, oh, you look so pretty, Tiffany. It would always be like, you're so smart. Yeah. You know? Like, even now, I look back at it now, I'm like, I was an average kid. I mean, I wasn't, but Nigerians, you are never average. Like, you are, like, the most brilliant genius. And how <laughs> dare you bring home a B. Right. Because yeah. A's are easy for you. And so he just he instilled this um, sense of confidence in, in my ability to, to do, you know, that if I just worked hard enough, I could figure it out. Yeah. That I was able. So, like, I'm just so grateful for that. Like, you know, bigger than, like, oh, you look cute. Oh, like, dressed. I mean, that's nice. Mm-hmm. But it was really, like, no, Tiffany, like, you are a latent genius. Yeah. It's so offensive, actually. I find it so offensive when people are always saying to little girls, like, oh, my gosh, you're so pretty. Mm -hmm. You look so pretty in that, you know, whatever. And I'm always like, oh, like, that. it's, like, not actually the encouragement that we... Because what does that even mean? She has no control over that. Exactly. You know, like... It's all happenstance. Yeah. But it's it's so... I think it's fascinating how parents talk to you when you're younger and and, uh, how that ends up shaping you. And I think that's sort of what we've been delving into in progress. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, just like on an ending note, when you think back to your origin story, mm-hmm. how important do you think it is in the process and, and to get you to where you are now? And how important do you think it is for other people to really lean into their own origin story when they're figuring out what they want to do? I think that that it's important to understand that nothing is wasted in your life. That things that seem so random are not, that everything matters. So, like, I think about, like, it seems so random that why would I become a preschool teacher? I could not be the budget needs to now without that preschool teacher training. It literally taught me to teach. Yeah. Because to know something is one thing. To teach something is a whole nother thing. It is so important that all of the collection of, of, of things that have happened to you are usable things. I could not do what I do now 
without having gone through, like if the recession had never happened, I would not be here. Because how do I teach you how to dig your way out with empathy and kindness and understanding when before I used to be so judgmental? I'm not going to lie. I used to be like, you have how much of that? bad choices. Look at you and yes, your, I'm like, your right, boots having... and cup of noodles, exactly. girl, at brunch <laughs> exactly. with no savings account. Right? But now I was like, ooh, been there, done that, yeah. wrote the book on it, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that leaning into your origin story, that, that not despising humble beginnings, that they're critical, that... Every lesson is a jewel that you should keep with you. And I actually lean into and enjoy challenges now. Like when things go wrong, I'm like, great. Because if it's a $50 mistake, it makes me avoid a 500 I made a $5,000 mistake. That means I'm going to avoid a $50,000 mistake. Yeah. Once you learn to make money, you realize it's not as hard as you think. Yeah, you know? totally. But that's not the hard part. It's really learning to manage the emotions of, of business, that's the part that you're wanting to try to learn to master early on. The ups, the downs, the ins and outs. This one's leaving, this one's staying. Mm-hmm. How do you manage how you feel about it and how you interact with that? That that part is critical. And that only comes from delving into your origin story and 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 really holding it dear to you. I would not change anything in in my past because I would not be here as a result. Right. Yeah. I think it's so difficult, too, that um, when you do create a business based on your passion Mm -hmm. and you're just full throttle like you know going after what you want to do in your heart and then also taking that to a place where at a certain point you realize you need to monetize it Mm -hmm. in a really impactful way that was really hard for me as well because it was like you know I was just trying to do this thing to like help all these communities in Africa and then at a certain point it was like wait like financially how do I do this right and that was like uh crushing and I just remember my mom at one point saying something to me and she was like you know if you're not a communist in your 20s you have no heart and if you're not a capitalist in your 30s you have no brain (laughs) I could see that and she was like it's at a certain point you have to like switch it in order to even be able to sustain yes because you cannot even doing. serve if you right, not. and that's you with the budget nista, oh and gosh. then turning into the academy. It was so hard because you feel guilty. Yeah. But I always say this: people first, then purpose, then profit. If it helps people and it's alignment with my purpose, I figure out how to make a profit from it. That's an absolutely amazing mm-hmm. uh, triple attack strategy, <laughs> Tiffany. Thank you so much thank for you, coming Laura. by today. Thank you. Okay, I am having so much fun during these conversations on the podcast and just getting really real about how our unique origin stories are such a big part of who we are. Thank you so much for joining us for these conversations and a big thank you to Toomey for partnering with us to make this show happen. Be sure to tune into the next episode. It's actually going to be our final episode for the season. I'm so sad. I know. (laughs) Boo-hoo. But it's going to be another incredible origin story and I know you're not going to want to miss it. I need you to remember, we are all a work in progress, but we make progress when we take time to reflect on where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. As always, be sure to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these conversations. And tell your friends about the podcast. We want to reach as many people as possible because these conversations are so important today. You can help us do that by recommending the podcast to your best friends, your coworkers, your family, your partner, everyone. Okay, that's it for now. We'll talk to you soon.